Podcasting straight from North Carolina is Dr. Jennifer Eichner-Lowry sharing her author journey with you. Jen Lowry writes is a place where amazing things happen for authors and readers together. The Holy Spirit is the ultimate podcast host. Jen is just the bird singing the song. She is a published author, educator, homeschool mama, life coach, and dreamer. Join her on the daily journey of discovering what this writing life is all about. Let's see what she will be led by the Holy Spirit to talk about today. Here's Jen. Welcome to my official author podcast. My name is Dr. Jennifer Lowry, and I have the honor of introducing C.R. Stewart, the author of Brickfield and the Lost Crown, which is book one in the series, which you know need to get your copy today. So welcome. Now, now C.R. Stewart, I don't want to give away your name. Is this <laughs> the pen name thing, or can I call you by your name? The mystery oh, starts. You- <laughs> yeah, you can call me call me by my name. That's just the pen name. So. Uh huh. Right. So everybody, this is Chad. Chad Stewart, guys, phenomenal work that you're doing out for young adults right now in middle grades. So just tell us about yourself. Yeah, I mean, did you want me a little a little overview of background, or you wanted me to talk uh, about the book? You talk about you first, because I think all of our listeners they love to hear. Okay, so who is this author all about? So, sure. Yeah, sure. give us that. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born and raised in uh, Newport Beach, California, and uh, just beautiful, beautiful area, and uh, really had a, a wonderful you know childhood growing up. Uh, loved uh, sailing. I've uh, been working since I was uh, fourteen years old. Um, I had the unique experience to work for three self-made millionaires by the time I was nineteen. Uh, family friends. Uh, that were associated with us. And, and that was amazing. I mean, again, to, you know, um, one gentleman, uh, Jim Wood owned a big real estate um, company. And so, you know, I just would uh, work in his office, uh, come in um, uh, early morning, you know, um, uh, change the trash and vacuum, you know, just simple things. But, uh, and, and then that's the, and, that's the high school internship times of like a million. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was, uh, you know, would wash his, uh, his, uh, his van, and then uh, actually got to wash his um, uh, his uh, Porsche, which was kind of cool, and uh, actually got to drive it every now and then, which was pretty cool, but not too far. But um, but it was just it was an interesting experience uh, working. Number one, you know, it, it teaches you responsibility, um, reliability, showing up. Um, you know, and you're like 14 or 15, and they um, you know they learned to count on you, and uh, and and you were you were you know. Um, you learned accountability, and so it was good. And, and plus, you you talk to them, and you you ask questions, you mirror them, and learn a lot. And I say all of this because I think it had a huge impact on me, from if you will, an entrepreneur spirit, um, and uh, you know, just a um, sort of a business savvy. You know, learning from from other people that have succeeded. And so, um, when I was 22, I um, I moved out to uh, New England. And so I was in Wellesley, Massachusetts for 16 years and did my undergraduate at Brown uh, University in British Literature and European History, which obviously will tie into uh-huh. the whole. There's the sick. link. There's the up. link. Uh-huh. It'll tie into the Britfield uh, uh, you know, series, which is exciting. And uh, I just, I, I've always loved history. It's funny. And, and I'm, I'm still reading history. I've been on a biography kick for like the last three years and just going from biography to biography. So 
um, really, really enjoy that. And then uh, when I was in New England, I was there for 16 years. So I got into um, banking and then I got into investment. But I always yes, had that. That cra- really sounds like British lit. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but I've always had that, I always had that creative spark, you know. And I remember I was at um, uh, Merrill Lynch, you know, and which was a, at the time, you know, just a great company, a good position. And if you wanted to sort of stick with it, you know, and put in the hours and build your quote unquote book of business, you know, in five to seven years, you could kind of kick back and, and just manage your accounts. And to me, that just wasn't a great use of my talents or, or God's gifts and stuff. And then uh, I started my own company um, consulting firm out there and we uh, branched out into um, film and media and, uh, and writing. And I'm actually um, trained as a, uh, as a script writer. That's really uh, when I was 18 is when I took my first script writing class. And I've always loved film and fascinated with film and, and media. And, um, and so, you know, just learned how to, how to write scripts. And it's a very um, strenuous discipline. And uh, I still do it. I still write a script uh, a year, although I don't think I can be able to write one this year. And I do that to challenge myself. We can come back to that if you want to. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because I know that, who knows, there's somebody out there that this could inspire them to either investigate it or explore more, um, like something they've always wanted to do, or that they're currently doing it now, and they want to hear more about what projects you've done in the past. So, yeah, we got to come back and circle around to that. Sure. And then, uh, yeah, so then, and then I, uh, um, actually I started, uh, and this is kind of tying into it, but uh, about nine years ago is when I, um, I had the idea for Britfield and the Lost Crown. At the time I was, I was really into business and uh, management and strategy. Um, I was writing, uh, I wrote my first uh, published book that was nonfiction and I had a, uh, uh, I had four more lined up, um, uh, four more books to publish. But uh, I remember it was kind of between that, that, that the, the last one I finished or the first and then the second. And I thought, man, this is, you know, I just need to take a break and do something creative, you know, because it's all sort of so stringent, black and white numbers, specifics, all that type of stuff. And that's really when uh, the Britfield seed took off. So anyway, and then uh, Tom so and Sarah of, were born. And yes. Then, and so were they always with you or was this, OK, I, I do want this switch. I don't know where, like, how did you really move from that nonfiction to the middle grades like that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because the, the, you could see the transition, um, fr- the creativity transition, because uh, there I was creating scripts. You know, I remember um, the first the first full length script that I wrote was The Butler's Apprentice, which was a fun romantic comedy. And then I wrote another book uh, script that was more of a um, fast paced sort of drama. But but again, I was creating these. They weren't really based on, you know. Uh, history or anything so the creative vibe was there I just wasn't really if you will channeling it correctly and and at that or you might not have been mirroring it or pat you know with your passion like you weren't connecting the pieces together correct yeah correct Mm -hmm. yeah because if you were to told me nine years ago that you know you're gonna be writing a young adult adventure series I mean it's just like are you kidding me so you know it wasn't so it wasn't that type of thing and and we could talk a little bit about the seeds of Tom and Sarah and where the whole Mm -hmm. balloon came from um at any point in time but uh so anyway so then i uh, and then i moved back to san diego and i've been in san diego for about nine years now so and did you find yourself an author's group to circle around like did you say oh i know an or did you know authors and was like okay guys i'm really thinking of this transition here comes you know my new idea did you have people to bounce that off with or did you keep it to yourself until you kind of fleshed it out 
Yeah, and that's a great question. Um, with the scriptwriters, we we, I, I was involved in the scriptwriters group when I was in Boston, and uh, we met in Cambridge right over by Harvard, and it was a, a great group of, I mean, really professional writers, eight to ten. And so that was great uh, from that standpoint. I highly recommend it. You know, if you have that opportunity to get mm -hmm. into a group, a good group. Um, and, and, as, and, you know, and if you join it and you're gaining something from it, but if you're not, then, then so be it, but at least you've tried. But it is great to be uh, surrounded with you know, other experts. And what we'd do is we'd meet once a week and then um, we would have someone's script, you know what I mean? And, and then we would take it home and read it that week and then come back and critique it. And, uh, so you, you had know, your built-in beta readers like right there at your fingertips that were, that were there for your best interest too, like going through it with you. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, correct. But I, but I, I, I didn't have it with, um, with um, you know, writing the fiction or writing books, which is interesting. And I know because uh, you yeah, found such value. So if you found such value out of the writer's group, but then when you moved, you didn't connect in with a new group. No, no, I didn't. And it's funny because it's really the first time this has been asked in an interview. And uh, it's a great question. And um, I, I don't have the answers per se. You know what I mean? I just um, I think if there was an available group, but I think I think part of it, too, is I've, I've, I've been through a lot of that. And I think this mm -hmm. was kind of this, this was my, my project, my baby. And um, and I was just I was ready to kind of you know dig into it. And so I what I started to do is to read a lot of um, you know, a young adult fiction. Cause again, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. So I didn't really, I'm not, I haven't been, you know, involved in that, you know, for a while, uh, except, except for childhood. Right. Right. And I, I, I'm telling you like my go-to is young adult. And mm. with my son in sixth grade, it's like, okay, middle grades fiction. I can live there. I can live in middle grades and young adult the rest of my life and be completely satisfied with my reader experience just because I love what happens in these books. It, it, I don't know. Does it bring back a taste of my childhood? I don't know why I navigate so strongly to it, but the, now that the social themes and, you know, the themes are advancing now in YA, they really spark me. Like it's just, sure. you know, that's my place. And so what, so can you like think back of a book that you read like middle grades or YA and you were reading it and said, Oh, I could do this. I got it. <laughs> like, did it just dawn on you? Like after doing some of that model reading and going back into text or did you just pretty uh, much you knew? Yeah, it was very interesting. A couple of things too, about what you said. Um, uh, uh, 55% of the young adult audience. Um, are, so I think I, I found that a, a fantastic and fascinating statistic. So, so you're not alone. I mean, yep. it's like a huge audience out there, which is great for me too. So it, is. <laughs> right? it expands, but it also expands our thinking about it because we can limit ourselves in thinking, well, it's, it's just where we're going to find them in this one location. Sure. When in fact, there are so many YA readers, I'm meeting them all the time. And they're, I mean, I'm 43 years old. I'm meeting, you know, they're right along up here with me going, oh, and have you thought of this one? And oh, have you read this one yet? And I'm like, sure. wait, let me write it down. <laughs> I got to write this one. And I have a whole note sure. section in my phone of so many people that are reading the YA. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a it's an interesting audience. It's it's fascinating. Um, but to back to your question, uh, yeah, I think some of the books that I loved, I mean, the Hardy Boys was oh, yeah. fascinating. So I think, uh, and again, so it's and we can talk about you know the process of writing Britfield and where all that came from. But I think some of the anchors of that um, or seeds that were planted, and none of these were conscious. Uh, I didn't sit there and, and and remember the Hardy Boys and say I kind of want to 
you know, mirror that or use aspects of it. But I think that had a huge impact um, with me. Uh, Charles Dickens books, um, Oliver Twist, David Copperfield, um, the Shakespearean cast of characters that Dickens puts together. I mean, the one thing I love that he does is he'll open up, up a book with all these different characters and none of them are related. You know, you have the aristocrat and you have the, uh, uh, the, 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 you know, um, single mom and, and the right, guy that's working at, down at the, social barrier at, at the mm-hmm. shop and yeah, all these different places. Mm-hmm. And somehow they're all beautifully connected at the end. And yes. I, so I gained a lot from that. Um, one and book, that was uh, his that, social consciousness. Like he was, Sure. Very particular about that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we have Hardy, yeah. uh, like Hardy Boys too, like that whole suspense there, mm-hmm. like the whole mystery, the the what's the next step, and and you've got some twists in Britfield, which now listen, my husband has told me, Jennifer, be careful when you do reviews because you're gonna give it all away, and I promise <laughs> I won't. But you've got some twists in there that I kind of started wondering if somebody was one way or the other. <laughs> I kind of sure. started wondering. And um, it was solved for me there in the last pages. And I was like, oh, I was right. I kind of had this feeling like sure. you do a lot of that. You, you plant the seeds in Britfield, like a kind of that, that whole mystery and suspense, you know, the tone of that is, is throughout. Yeah, I think you can go to the Hardy Boys and, and, mm-hmm. and look at it and just say that in many ways, and I forget how many books, I just remember I have a, a picture in my mind of our library at home, not a massive library, but I just I remember the shelf of them, you know what I mean? And there's, I think there's yeah. like 20 or 30, 30 of them, mm-hmm. but they're very simplistic stories in, in many ways. You know, they're not too complex, but they're great right. and they're fun. And I think that's those seeds were planted in Britfield. I mean, to get into it, I'd just say that it. Well, I can, we can transition into it um, when, when you want to, but, um, and then another book for whatever reason that I remembered was um, the mouse and the motorcycle. Oh my <laughs> by, gosh. By Beverly. I, Clearly, I, I loved I, that book. Yeah. See, I'm telling you like, and Houdini, like I, the mouse and the motorcycle, I'm going to get, um, cause I just want to see the, t- the cover of that. Cause I can vividly see it. I don't want to make it up. Yep. It was, I don't I know why. But it stuck with me. Yeah. Oh, do you? Yeah, I, wow. had the, I had the old um, Beverly Cleary uh, copy of that because I read them with my kids, too. So what's beautiful about homeschool moms is that we get the opportunity to think back of the books that we love growing up and say, oh, well, maybe you need to read The Witches or, oh, maybe you need to read The Trumpet and the Swan or maybe you need The Mouse and the Motorcycle. And it's, it's because mm. I just really wanted to reread them all again. And so <laughs> I'm pulling them out and I'm reading them with Solomon. And we're reading Stuart Little, and then I'm pulling it out with Sam again when it's his turn, and we're experiencing it all over again. Like, I've had a chance to experience Harry Potter three times. Like, Mm. you can't beat that because you're seeing it through, you know, the different lens of each child. So, yeah, I'm with you on the mouse and the motorcycle. I remember those vividly. And those are action-packed, fat, you know, like suspense what's happening and, and you know you're hanging on to your seat to see what's going on next and that's what that grade needs you know the grade yeah. needs that we need more of that um in middle grades so tell me more about okay so can i tell you who my favorite character is yeah please oh i want you to see if you get well i don't know i'm trying to ask you to guess but okay professor hainsworth's my favorite character oh isn't that cool Wow, I love that. Like, I don't um, know why, but there's, I can just imagine myself uh, sitting around a bunch of stacks of graded papers going, is this all of my life? And then all of a sudden wow. you're whisked away on this youthful adventure 
Now, that's all I'm going to tell. I'm not going to give it all away, I promise. But I don't know. There's just something about him at that very beginning that I could see that as being, okay, I got this. He's here. He's going to step in. He's going to do his part, you know, at the beginning. So he was my favorite character at the beginning. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, um, couple, just a couple of things about the book. So, so it took me four years to write it, 2,500 hours. And um, so it's a tremendous amount of, of, of work to, to produce it. Um, but what we did was, and this is coming back to your question about, you know, did I have any um, other authors? No, what I did is by um, draft number three is I reached out to public and private schools, middle schools, and uh, we set up pilot programs with students. And at one, just to give an example, at one uh, local school, we did uh, 35 manuscripts for the students. Um, and there was actually 200 volunteers, if you can imagine. Oh, I can. One. I believe it. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they had three weeks to read it. And then they uh, filled out a two and a half page survey. And then I came in and I was in the, I was in the library all day as, as different groups would come in four or five at a time. And we sat there around a uh, round table and did discussions about the book and what they liked and what they didn't like and what was confusing and et cetera, et cetera. And it was just, it was phenomenal. And it's become a model that we now use. I used it for book two, uh, but the feedback was priceless. And once oh, yeah. I, once you, yeah, once you break through that, that about five minutes of that kind of awkwardness, like, okay, here's the author, this adult and everything. Oh my gosh. I mean, and, and they, and they realize that, Hey, I'm, I'm not here to take praise. I'm, I'm here to discuss the book and, to see, really see what you guys think and stuff. And, and they, and they sense that honesty about you. I mean, the conversations just flowed and I was just taking down notes. So there's a reason that our book is, is doing so well. We scored a 9.03 out of a scale of one to 10 across all demographics. We're just now getting in some book awards and we're getting five stars out of five stars. We've had um, 12 year olds read the 400 page book in five hours. Um, and again, it's not because it's a simple, fast read. Um, it's just that it flows and it's, and that's for another reason we could talk about writing techniques if you want to, Yeah. but, uh, yeah, so it's just, it's been a, a very, a very interesting experience. So I was going to say two more things was, um, I think, um, uh, James and the giant peach and, <gasps> love uh, it. Yes. Yeah, Charlie, Charlie, the chocolate oh, factory. <laughs> yes. Love it. I have yeah. them both on my son's collections. Yeah. Yes. Adore them. Plastics. Um, Plastics. and so going back to like your round table and like you said, you had that awkwardness, but what gave you the idea to do this model type work of going into schools like that and having young adult beta readers, you know, middle grades, beta readers, like who did you contact? Like, cause that's what I try to tell people I'm in the school. So it's, I feel very comfortable, you know, emailing one of my colleagues and going, Hey, do you have any, you know, students in your class? You, you know, could you ask them would they like to read or something? I would feel comfortable doing that, but I put out a poll on Twitter and I was like, how many of you have tried to get into schools that if you have like an age appropriate book, you know, um, how many of you have thought about it, just wouldn't do it. And I was going, no, but I would love to No, but I would love to. And that's the kind of stuff, like, I'm wondering, like, to, if you could give advice to oh, others absolutely. who might not, they might feel maybe intimidated by how do I even go about this or just unsure. Don't be. And yeah. um, what I do is I, 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 you know, I did a quick Google search of schools, you know, within San Diego, some private, some public, and I wanted just the different demographics of it. And, and you put together the list, you put together the list of obviously the principal or vice principal mm -hmm. um, and usually if you get their email and then you try to hone in on the literary side of things or the English teacher. Yep. Um, and so, and then I'd, I'd craft a really nice, well-written, you know, email of what, you know, who I am and what we're trying to do. 
and then I'd first send the email. And, um, and then if I needed to follow up with phone calls, usually I didn't because really, let's say you get three out of 10 um, reply. That's all you really need. You know what I mean? At least for that first round and stuff. Um, you know, so we, we did like four or five different schools. You don't, you don't need a lot. And, um, and that's kind of the way it is with kind of any email that you might be sending out, whether it's a media, you know, you try to get interviews or something like that. It's like, you don't really care about the, the seven that didn't reply your, your speed dialing the three that did. Exactly. Right. You have that audience right there. And so with yeah. the survey, I bet that was a good way for you to populate like comments from students that you could actually use authentically later like did you take any of that and use that to help you like to promote the book with other people too oh absolutely um Mm -hmm. uh some some of the some of the uh in fact in the uh, front pages two and a half front two and a half pages at the front of the britfield lost crown book are um the feedback from uh, some of the kids which would be amazing for them to pick up and say oh wait my name is john my last name starts with an N. I wonder if it's me. I've never read a book like it, said John N. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah. I said that. And so there you go. Like, just well, it's process. I mean, that's, yeah, yeah that's, your, that's your demographic. It's so funny. And we can get off, you know, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent about sort of the publishing industry and how disconnected they are or literary agents and how disconnected they are. They're still selling eight track players. You know what I mean? They're so disconnected. But needless to say, you know what I mean? It's like, so why wouldn't you go out to that group? Give them a chance right. of reading your book and then getting their comments. I mean, they're priceless. And, and, um, and so that, that helped. That kind of insight, the structure and story of the book never changed, but some of the details and aspects of it did. And so it was just a great way to tailor it and dial it into, hence, my reading audience. So, right, because you want it so to be was, relatable. And how, like you said, like, how do you know unless you're saying, hey, does this fit well with you? Does this yeah. fit well with the time? And, and like, we can lose sense of that because we're not in that you know, voice of this age group, you know, gleaning from them. That's just, I think it's brilliant. I do. I'm telling you, that's just a brilliant move on your part. So, um, and I like how you said you, did you go back through the survey, change anything up when you did it for book two, or did you just kind of leave everything the same? Cause it worked. Well, no, I, uh, we did a lot of surveys for book one. And then what I would do is I would compile, I'm very organized. I think it's important to be organized, but I, I would, com- I would, you know, you kind of do things in sections and then I'd get all the information back. I'd get all the surveys back. I'd get all my notes back. And then I went through all of it and I, and I just started kind of putting them in bullet points or organized it mm-hmm. before I went back to my next draft. And it's not to say every comment you change, you know, someone says like, you know, I love all the history. Someone says too much history. It's, so it's like, you got to find the balance, but if right. you start to hear you know, three or four comments, they, you know, I thought the beginning was a little slow or, you know um, you know, whatever the comment is. And so, and I think as a writer, it's, it's instinct. It's sometimes it's one comment and it's just like, you know, everyone else loves it. There's one comment that's lingering and it's just like, you can't get it out of your, one of the comments was like, um, um, some of the title, some of the uh, chapter titles didn't really connect well with the chapter. I mean, this guy was really smart, a 12 year old. He's already, he's, he's reading Tolkien, but I couldn't shake that comment. And I thought, gosh, darn it. He's right. Right. <laughs> so, and then you go back you know, in and you just tweak it a little bit. And what it yeah. was becomes even better. Right. Yeah. It, it went through, you know, as you can imagine that it, I think it was John Irving, famous writer that said, uh, writing is 10% writing and 90% rewriting. Mm, and and I, I thought when I first heard that, I, I thought, really? And yeah. then, and then once you're, you're like, 
Yes, because what happens is is editing is where where it all happens, and I, and I look at it as like combing matted hair, you know what I mean? And you and you want to get it so it's so smooth, um, and and you're going to get that way by just constantly starting at the beginning and editing all the way through. And what happens is by the time you you've edited all the way through, you're actually a better writer, and so your level of of expectation or um, uh, expertise is is has has rised. And so you know, and then you take a break, you know, a couple months or something, then you come back with a fresh start and you edit it again and you edit it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's what I did. It usually took me about uh, eight to 10 solid weeks, you know, eight hours a day to edit. I'm a morning person. So I was attacking it by seven. Um, and here's a trick for those that are, that are new writers is that you'll get it really nice and smooth on your laptop or computer. You know, you'll be editing it that way. Um, but when it's in, when it's printed and read as a printed copy, it reads very, very different. And I found that out years ago. And um, I would be reading, like I'd print two pages that I wrote and, 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 and edited and you're reading it. And it's like, gosh, that sounds great. And then I'd print it out and lay down on the couch and read it. And I was like, ugh, you know, like it's, just, it's like I repeated this word twice and this is yeah. kind of a disconnect. That's, that's, that's the trick of the trade. And so what I do is I'll get to a certain point where I've edited as much as I want to do or as much as I can do on the computer. And then I start printing it and I start with two pages at a time. Um, I don't print 10 pages. And uh, I'll lay down on the couch with a highlighter and a pen and I just start reading it. And, um, and if I have more than, than um, you know, like three, three mistakes in the first third of the page, I'll stop. I'll make those changes. I'll print it again. And then I'll start reading it. That's just my process. It's very lethargic and very, um, very thorough, if you will. Um, but, you know, if I read through a page and I've only got like three or four, flip it and then get on to the next page and stuff. But the point is, is you just want it to read so smoothly so tight you don't want to be reusing words you want to have a good vocabulary um my my greatest goal is you know i call them power lines and it's it's can you get a can you somehow get a paragraph into a one-line sentence and have the same impact or meaning you know what i mean and that's what i strive for um or you're looking at two sentences and you're saying can i combine these to one make it tighter is that dialogue really needed is that kind of you know implied and so you just want it. That's why 12 year olds and, and even, you know, and, and adults can read through this book in five hours. Fr- frankly, I've never read through a 400 page book in five hours, but it's why it's, it's, it's by design. We can start to talk about certain techniques in, in writing mm-hmm. if you want to at some point, but um, it's, it's because of that discipline of just editing and editing and editing. And what I'll do on my last edit is I'll, uh, is I'll start with page one and I'll say, I want to get rid of at least one sentence per page no matter what. That's the goal. Like what absolutely doesn't need to be there? What's fluff or what's repetitive or what could be cut? And, and it's like, it's kind of a house of cards. You know what I mean? In, at my books, I feel if you remove you know, one yeah. card or one line, it's just like, oh, it'll tumble down. It's that tight. Um, but it's a discipline, you know, and it's a certain technique of writing. It makes it read very, very fast. I think I, I feel that too many writers love their description and, and, and their fluff. And, and their poetry of words and, 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 and no knock against it, but story, story. And I think you've got a 300 page book and you, what you have is you really have about a hundred page pages of real good story and then 200 pages of fluff uh, or description. And don't get me wrong. Some descriptions fine, but, but it really, what you're doing is they're like speed bumps. It compromises but, the story. Yeah. It also messes with the flow. And then mm-hmm. when the description is overused, then the students will lose interest. Sure. And it, they so will disengaged and they will be like, well, this is just, 
it's just too much. It's just too lofty. Can't they just get to the point? And, and I've seen them, you know, they've done that. And I teach ninth grade and I will watch the patterns of my students when the pages just seem like they drone on and on. They'll go like, oh my gosh, they'll count the pages of chapters. <laughs> like seriously, my ninth graders will do it. They'll count pages and say, okay, so this, this chapter, it has 15 pages in it. So I know I want to read this page. Let me go ahead and they'll start like marking it and they'll look for things that, that look like you say, like those power lines where yeah. it'll be like, okay, this has got to be the dialogue. This is now breaking it apart. And so they don't like the overused descriptions, not, not middle grades and, you know, especially ninth graders, you know, young adult readers. I'm not saying everybody because I can make a generalization really quick, but you know, just sure. what I've seen in the past 20 years, I've seen the patterns of behaviors of students and the flowery text kind of turns them off a little bit. They're like, no, nah, yeah. just give me the meat and potatoes. I'm ready to go. Like, you know, if, if I'm going to read this and spend my time doing this, I've put my Xbox away. I've put Fortnite away. I will do that, but you better keep me in it. You better keep me engaged in it. Sure. So I, 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 say, I like the power line. I like that power line structure yeah. that you do. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, to give you an analogy, I mean, just like think of a power line as a great quote that you've read, right? It's like a mm-hmm. one-line quote it's almost life-changing. I have maybe three or four of those quotes where it's like, it just, like you read that quote and it's like, just take, you know what I mean? It's just how, however they put those words together, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's one line. And it's just like, wow, that, that just impacts you. But I was going to say, um, what was interesting about this process too, is cause I'm, I'm doing a lot of things with this book. I mean, first it's a fast paced adventure novel. Uh, second, it's based on, on family values, friendship, courage, character, um, and third, it's a, it's an educational book. And so here's universities, mm-hmm. you know, the research, uh, the history. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was very difficult to do, um, but kids can read it. And what we incorporate through the whole thing is real history, accurate history, geography, architecture, art, culture, that's all within the book. And so you're, Children are reading Britfield and the Lost Crown, and they're actually becoming educated, educated about uh, history, educated about um, Britain, um, the culture, the people, the surroundings. I mean, everything's accurate. But the process was very hard because it's like, as a history major, it's just like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> flying over the Midlands. I'm like, well, they're, they're just flying over um, where Shakespeare is. And suddenly I write this, like, paragraph about Shakespeare, and then I'm reading through in one of my edits, and I'm like, yuck. You know, it's like, <laughs> ugh. Beat bump. But and so then I cut it down. Do you feel yeah, like that's it. where you spent the most of your time? I know you've got that very strict regimen of your editing, but with the research component and how to break that down into the middle grades language, did you find yourself doing a lot of research there or was that the easy part for you? Like, which was the part, the research or actually just weaving together the story? Uh, weaving, weaving the story together. Okay. Um, you know, the research wasn't, wasn't hard. I mean, it's, it's kind of a given, if you will. And right. when you come up to it, and obviously with the computer now, I, I was actually, um, and I'll come back to this, because we just did two back-to-back schools yesterday with a creativity presentation. Um, so this comes back full circle about how to get into schools. We're booking 250 schools right now for our national book tour. So I just did two yesterday. I talked in front of one group of, of uh, 70 um, students, um, and we sold about uh, 35 books, that's which is almost really, a 50%. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a good turnout. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then we did 90 um, uh, students, and, and they were amazing. And uh, we sold about, again, about 30, 30 plus books uh, to that group. Um, 
and but the but their questions were amazing. Like I'm not kidding you. When we did the Q and A at the end of the presentation, and uh, we did it for about ten minutes, we finally had to stop it because I was doing the book signing part of it. And you had about thirty hands still up. Mm-hmm. How engaged that! That was amazing. That but was that actually can, the best. That group can go I've right seen. into your qualitative data that you were storing. Like when you were sure. saying the themes that people would say, you were making bullet points. You were just doing like you know a thematic analysis of of your survey results. In the same way, when you're out there in those schools, you know, just take mm-hmm. note of everything they're saying and just you know keep that oh, yeah. running record to where you can definitely use it at one point somewhere while you're crafting, while you're, you know, working resources. And then going back to your website, I got to talk about this website. Okay, guys, you need to go to (laughs) Britfield.com because like you said, the research was easy for you. And with the use of the internet today, now the students can find there, find it there and follow along and get more involved into you know, the British history and the culture and see the pictures and what it would look like to be in the balloon. You know what I'm saying? Like, yes. like I love what you did with the website. Just we're, phenomenal. Yeah. We're, we're blown away by, by the website our, ourselves. And I, and I say that because, you know, we, you have high expectations or hopefully you do, you know, a high level of standards and, and then someone comes along and they actually exceed it. That's a very small rarity, but mm-hmm. I had put together the concept for the website, you know, years ago and then um, actually put the whole thing together as far as a word doc, you know, the, and uh, picking parts from the book. And then what I, what, what I wanted to do with the website is the website was supposed to complement the book and take it to the next level. Um, so it's, you have all these different areas that Tom and Sarah are visiting. It starts in Yorkshire, Northern England, and then you come through the, the Midlands and then you're, you're at Oxford and Windsor and London and all the way down in the South. So there's a lot, there's a lot of history. There's a lot of culture and there's a lot of pictures. And so I sat there and probably went through about 10,000 pictures. It's one of these, you know, one of the uh, picture sites where you, you know, you, you can, uh, purchase a membership you right, know, like per month. Stock and, photos, stock, stock, yeah, yeah, stock yeah. photos, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And and so I mean it's it's funny too because you think like London, oh my gosh, it'd be so easy to find photos. And it's like, oh my gosh, now you've got to go through hundreds to find, you know, a really good one and stuff. So so I did I did, if you will, the legwork and all the hard work. Um, but we needed to find a great, you know, uh, website designer. And so we, we, we researched it and we interviewed and we, we found a studio 98, which is out of Florida and we just liked them. You know, they've been in business for 12 years. They've got uh, 40 employees. They've done like 6,000 websites, but they kind of, they, they got it. They got what we were trying to do with the website. And then, and then they, so, you know, we kind of handed it off to them. And I remember on our first preview, I thought, wow, they took it to that next level. You know, they just added these great little things what they do with the pictures. I mean, what you have is you come to a certain picture like Yorkshire and it's like, boom, the entire um, page is that picture. I mean, it's just so stunning. It is. And like, so one yeah. of my favorite, okay. I'm, I'm so nerdy. One of my favorite scenes. And, and this is the beauty of everybody reading your book and then telling you what their favorite scenes are, but it was sure. when they were at the university. Oh uh, yeah. And they come across this unlikely character who you would think, oh, hey, he's all friendly and everything, you know, but he, he takes them in and he helps them. But when you go and you look on the website, you can see like how they fit the summary. Like, did you do those summary pieces or did you turn all of that work to somebody else too? No, I did the summary. Summary. Yeah. I wrote all that, that part. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like after, like the part where it's like after finding the town map, 
This is where they pass. These are things that they see. And so this is like the gateway to me for students who are visual learners and they don't have to now go and do any of that legwork because you took care of it all, but it's through your eyes that they're seeing it because anybody can go online. They can pick a picture, but it's not necessarily the right picture. Exactly. You're right. That's good. You've brought the way you envisioned it for Britfield to them. So, and I, and I like how you've done those little blurbs. Like you, you give the little, the gist of everything. So that way, if a student, they say, well, really, what was I supposed to get out of that scene? Because they might have maybe a gap in their comprehension at that point. They can go and look at the visuals. They can get those, you know, those quick bursts of words, and then they could go along with group discussions. So it's almost like an accommodation as well. Like you're modifying for different types of learners at the same time. No, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, it's so funny because geography is such a massive, um, we're in such a decline in, in the schools of kids with mm-hmm. geography. A lot of them don't even know where Colorado is. Mm-hmm. And so maps play a huge part. Geography and maps play a huge part in, in, in the Britfield series. And so even in book one, we've actually got five maps at the very beginning of the book of all the different places. But you go to the website, and, and honestly, this is where they just raised the bar. We've got real-time Google map of each location. You know, like, so you start with, with Yorkshire, and the, you know, up there in um, Doncaster or the Moors, where, where Weatherly, the uh, orphanage is, and you see it. But you can actually, um, you can actually, uh, you know, uh, plus or minus the map. So it's a real, a real life map in the sense that it's not just a, a stationary map. You can actually zoom in or zoom out. And we do that for all these different places, like in London. And then it's like it's Mayfair and then it's St. James. And it's all the different locations. And you can actually come in and see street by street. And it's just, it was just, it's amazing for those that want to do that mm-hmm. and really get engaged. And I think what it does is it really dials the book in to, to be a real book too. And I think, again, that was one of my techniques. You have a lot of the sort of fantasy out there and a lot of the supernatural and, and all these other sort of fictional elements or genres. But I think with Britfield, set aside from the fictional narrative, everything else is accurate. And I mm-hmm. think it's important to really dial kids into that kind of reality. Right. You know, it's like when you're in it, when you're in a, cause see, you're never going to connect. Kids will never connect with Harry Potter, you know, and, and they, and they might feel that they do, but they're not, they're not, they're not witches. You know, they don't have supernatural powers and frankly, they never will. And so I think there's a disconnect with a lot of those novels and that's fine. It's fun. It's fun fiction for them to read in general across the board, you know, with all the other books and stuff. But I think what's neat and unique about Griffin Lost Crown is it's, it's real life. You know, it takes place in present time. And when Tom and Sarah are hungry, they got to figure out how to eat. When they need to get somewhere, they need to figure out how to get there. And when they don't have enough money, when they go to try to yeah. buy a ticket, then they have to yeah. come up with a plan B. Right? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not all solved for them either. Like, it doesn't just all fall into place. Like, they have to work through, you know, each turn and twist. But, okay, we got to talk about your names here. Because I'm very fascinated with authors and the way that they craft their names and the grievances. Oh, my gosh. I love that. At first, I was thinking of Star Wars. But then when I got it, then I started just getting these series of unfortunate events. You know, the uncle, like, like the whole grievous people. Ooh, they're just like, okay, can I just say the word? Just very slang. They're just some nasty individuals. Yeah. And so, like, coming up with Speckle and some of the names that you have, like, where did all of that come from? Did you just get it, or did you just really pray hard over that, think it through, or did it just come out? 
It was hard. Uh, it's interesting. I mean, names are so important. It's kind of funny, too, because it's like Tom and Sarah are sort of simple names. Obviously, when I think of Sarah, I'm thinking of a specific Sarah. When I think of Tom, I'm probably thinking of a certain Tom. But with the uh, like the Grievouses, I, I think Dickens obviously influenced me mm. huge on that because he, he always has these these, uh, you know, wonderful character names. Kind of, like with with uh, with Britfield, you have um, Dr. Beagleswick, you know, yeah, or, yeah. Even, or even Hainsworth. And so yeah, really what I, love I would him. do. I love him. Yeah. Tying into the sort of British theme is I would literally like pull up a Google, um, you know, I'd Google it. And then I'd, I'd look at I'd look for a, a British last names or British first names. And then um, I might find and this is this is how you can create names. But I might find a great beginning of a name and then and then I'll, I'll find another great ending of a name and combine them. You know what I mean? So that's actually kind of how we came up with Britfield. You know, that's that was a name that I made up. Um, and I liked, I liked the Brit because it kind of gave that British feel to it. And then I just yeah. added field and Britfield and it just flows, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and it's not, easy, you know, it's not easy to come up with those names, but, uh, Hainsworth, the same thing was for, for Hainsworth, for Gowerstone, you know, just because the, the, the name kind of has this kind of edge to it, right? The grievances you think of grieving, you know, you think of, you know, so Beagleswick is kind of, that's a character and he is a character. And I think they become the name, you know, right. Hainsworth is and smooth and refined and stuff as the professor and stuff. And it was interesting that you said that was one of your, that was your favorite character. Cause actually for a couple of the, the readers that did the survey, our, our demographic, um, that was, that was quite a few favorite character. I thought interesting, you know, you think they'd immediately say Tom or Sarah, but I, but I had quite a few students like Painsworth. And I think he kind of just embodies that, that sophisticated, knows the answers is well-connected, takes care of things and just becomes their ambassador. He's really the father figure that Tom and Sarah never really had. And, and, um, and, and Tom and Sarah are the sort of children that Hainsworth never had. So it's a wonderful. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so I start the story out with Tom and Sarah and I love that because it's just about them. They come into the world of, of, of Hainsworth and he becomes part of this, this journey. Um, but then, yeah. You know, but they do have, you, but they do have like a character like Patrick that kind of stands out. Like he's always the one that that he's kinda, awesome. Yeah, so you yeah. do have some really good crafted characters at the very beginning that shows that tight knit community that they've made to themselves in the middle of that, you know, terrible abuse that they're facing. Like when you were um, hearing responses back from some of your readers, were they going, this could never happen today. How dare they get away with this? Like, were you getting some of that from like with the orphanage piece? I didn't actually, and that's a, that, but that's a great question. I didn't. And I think, I, cause I think kids can resonate with the orphanage as being an oppressive uh, uh -huh. situation at home or school or so they can relate to it, but not relate directly to an orphanage set aside from those that, you know, are orphans. Uh, which we hope to, you know, dedicate and, uh, you know, uh, give away, you know, thousands of books, you know, in the next year or two to, to oh, orphanages. Lovely. lovely. So tell me now, I love, so nobody do this. Don't skip to the end and see what I'm talking about. You've got to read all the way through. But I will tell you what I loved what you did. I loved how you give the little snippets of people. Because I could visually, like, at the end, like, the kind of, like, where are they now kind of, sure. like, images. Like, that closed it up so happily for me. Hmm. Like, yeah, I think great. if you wouldn't have done that, I would have probably been emailing you going. So, <laughs> let me ask you. Because you know how when you're watching a movie and you're at the end and you think the movie is over? And then yeah. they'll say... 
this, this, and this, and they'll show all of the screens of the characters and everything. That's like a cool piece. Did you get that from the script writing, or did you did that just naturally come? Or was that kind of a part of that movie type script related experience? You know, it it might have been um, uh, my training in movie script uh, writing is what made, in my opinion, Britfield you know, a, a very solid novel because at the structure, no matter how many times I rewrote it, um, the story and structure of it never changed. Um, but I think you, you don't, you can never, you don't never want to cheat your audience. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I feel that, you know, 400 pages, it actually was 413 and then we did some tweaks, but um, you know, for 400 page book, really Brifield's just an introduction, if you can imagine into this massive, you know, five to seven book series. So with that said, you know, you still, you, it still needs to be satisfying. You know what I mean? It can't just be, Oh, cliffhanger. And I got to get book two. Yeah. I mean, so like you said, and I'm glad to hear that you, you know, you enjoyed that. It was fun to write it. Um, But you need conclusions. You can't, you don't have to conclude everything, you know, because it kind of end and and it's just like, Oh my gosh, like what's going to happen next. And, but, but, but it's satisfying. You know what I mean? And I think, I think even in fiction and especially I'm trying to base everything in, in reality, um, you can suspend, I call it, was it suspended reality. You can get away with a little bit of that. I took a little liberty with the balloon, you know, but, but you don't want to, again, cheat your audience, you know what I mean? And say, oh, come on, you know, or would that really happen? And oh, so, you're you know, talking I, I about like, like young children navigating balloons. Is that what you're saying? Like you, oh, you took, you took liberty with the balloon. Is that what yeah, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. But not necessarily, you know, cause they're smart kids and they kind of figure it out. You know what I mean? And maybe they might not have figured it out so fast, but obviously they had to figure it out or they're going to crash or die. So um, <laughs> just some of the things I did with the balloon, you know what I mean? I mean, I, I, I got a lot of use out of that balloon. <laughs> yes, so. you did. And I like the line where I like the line where one of the adults recognized, Hey, you're the youngest pilots I've ever seen in this. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not quoting it perfect, but I remember that part where, and they threw them some food over into the basket. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's totally cool. It's a balloon carnival in the air, and the funny thing is, this is this is a god thing, but it's as you're writing, and I'm 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 at that point, and then I'm doing my research, and in that same area, actually in Britain, is where they have a balloon carnival, and so, so it was like you're going to have to go okay. on a balloon carnival ride. That's right. Yeah. Have you ever been in a balloon? I have. Yeah, it's amazing. It's just uh, it's it's just amazing. Yeah, it's like the second that it takes off, it just it, it feels just amazing so it's it's just it's very um i don't want to say surreal but right, <laughs> yeah is. i can imagine yeah. yeah so you said a while ago seven okay so i was thinking you were having a five book series but i heard you say five to seven so you're thinking that you could the creativity with this could just keep going it could you never want to um exhaust it you know, or, or just, you know, it's like some of the movie series out there and it's like, okay, you could have ended at three. You know what I mean? Right. It's just, just like, let it be. you're keep... just going to let it be what it's going to be. You're just going to let it. Yeah. Go. But I, yeah. I, I do see, I do like that seven book series because it's uh, Tom and Sarah 12 in book one. And then they're, they're 13 in book two and there will be 14 in book three. And then they kind of grow. And I just, I love the idea that come full circle and maybe have book book seven. They're actually in the United States. Cause my idea too, is that this is sort of not only just, hugely um, educational books for kids to, you know, uh, learn about culture and, and architecture and history of all these different countries. Uh, Cause you're going to go around the world. It's just like you have um, book two is in France. That's actually Ooh. already. Finished. So, okay. So wait a minute. Yeah. Let's stop this. You said that book two is already finished. Correct. And it's coming out. 
2020 and fall to 2020. So you're going to have to make me wait a whole nother year. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. So you're, so you're pushing that one 2020. Why, why such a long release date? Cause I know people that will, will push out a book like six months, or, you know, eight months while they get that momentum rolling. They'll, they'll push those out quicker. Yeah. I mean, right now we're just, we're in a soft launch of Britfield. And, um, and so we've got, we've got a three-year marketing plan for Britfield and it's not just national. Uh, we really look at the United States as sort of our pilot program for Britfield. And um, I mean, we're trying to turn this into a, to a global phenomenon. And so that's going to take time to build, mm-hmm. you know, to build that kind of traction and stuff. We're already off to an amazing start. We were at uh, the NRB last weekend, I had my PR team there and, and um, uh, one of our, our managers, our quarterback, and uh, just incredible connections. We connected with a uh, ro- uh, Romanian company that loves Britfield and actually um, wants to get it out to schools. So we're, we're in talks with them about a potential um, translation. translation. We, talk, yeah. Yeah, we talked to a Dutch company, uh, a Christian television station um, that's been around for like 20, 30 years. And, and so we're talking about, you know, a Dutch translation. And so it's just, it, it's, it's interesting to see where and how things will go. And um and uh, and world ahead and stuff, but it, we have a long campaign and stuff, and so um, you know, there's so many obviously millions that haven't read it yet. So right. we're we're in no hurry to get two out, and and can see with the launch of two or with any book, it's it takes your full focus. So if you're suddenly in the midst of of, of launching one and then suddenly releasing number two, I mean, it's you know, it's a disconnect because right. it's just you know. So and then you've got the audio book, and, and audio books are really important for me because of accessibility. I mean, not just the point that a lot of people are turning to audio books, but the accessibility piece for individuals with disabilities that need that audio book. Sure. So, like, I love that you have that audio book already available. Like, how did you go about like seeking all of that out? Like, did you find the audio book? to be a challenge or was that a smooth process for you too? Um, it was interesting. We have a, a, one of our team, team members, Ron Forseth. He worked at Outreach Inc. For, for 15 years and he's just, he's amazing. He's a kind of our strategist. And so um, I thought it would take longer for the audiobook, but we, he started that process. And so he reached out to a you know, certain um, network of, of professional voice authors. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 voice actors, yeah. yeah. Um, we found uh, Ian Russell who's British, which is perfect. And it was kind of funny too. He, um, uh, he, uh, he, uh, he schooled in, in Canterbury and he worked in Oxford, which are two key locations of the book. We thought, Oh, that's interesting. So he did, uh, he did the entire audio for us. Um, not, not just obviously in the British voice, but he did all the characters and stuff. So the audio is really amazing. And it was, it was very interesting when I was um, listening to the first version, you know, the first couple of chapters, because I was like, oh, my, I mean, I didn't I didn't have anything to base it off of. Right. So um, I was just listening to it. And I was like, it was just amazing to hear my book, my story oh. come alive, you know, with mm-hmm. this British author and stuff. And it was just that was very cool and amazing. That was quite a process of editing because I had to have multiple people go through the, the entire audio um, with the book to find out if any scenes or lines were missing. So like everything, it's just, it, everything takes a tremendous amount of time, but the audio is really very cool and, and amazing. So, But you talk about all of the time that you spent, like what kept you motivated for four, like I'm making sure I'm saying this right. Cause I really thought you said four years. Yes. 
And did you, like, how many hours did you say earlier? It was like 2,000 hours. Like, what did you, 2,500 hours? Yeah. I was like, okay, let me make sure that, like, how did you stay motivated within those four years and just, like, not lose your inspiration? Or, or what was it that kept you going through that? Um, that's a good question. I mean, uh, I, I really believe that this whole thing is been a God thing and God's timing. And I think often it's just like, I remember a pastor saying, you know, years and years ago, he said, if God, if God fulfills, um, you know, one of your, your, your hopes or prayers or something that he's, that he's planted inside you within a decade, considered a miracle. And I think we live in such a flash over substance. Oh. We expect everything here and now, you know, and it's, and I tell people, I mean, it took me 10 years really from, from the beginning part of this book to be here right now launching it. But uh, but when the, the timing is right, um, nothing will stop it. You know, if it's of God, nothing will stop nothing. it. That, that's extraordinary. So it'll just be in time. And so that's what was motivating you. Like you just kind of knew, like just through the business principles and just how long it takes for anything really, you know, to show its true self, you know, three years in a cycle, five years in a cycle. And I hear you say we have a three-year marketing plan. We have that. That's from all of that, that business mindset that you're carrying with you into this world because authoring is a business, but I, I'm hearing yes. those things that you're picking up. And so maybe, maybe that from your experience, maybe helped you maintain that focus because you knew it yeah. didn't have to happen overnight where so many people can get discouraged. They can say, well, I'm not seeing the numbers rise. You know, my audience isn't growing. I'm doing all of this work every day, but I'm not seeing the fruit of it. But you're like, no, I'm planting seeds. You're just going, I'm planting seeds. Because you had said that it's, earlier too. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, it's a game of attrition and, and a game of longevity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because you see people are like, hey, I've got this three-year marketing. I mean, I'm sorry, we, I've got this three-month marketing plan. And I'm like, <laughs> Great. Uh, by the end of three months, you'll be warmed up. You know what I mean? It's just like, you just, you don't get it. And um uh, it just takes a lot of time. It takes it takes a great team. This is not about me. You know I, mean? I was getting ready to say that. I was getting ready to say, but yeah. you have strategically placed people around you yeah. that have these special skill sets that can help you carry out this plan. Correct. Yeah, I mean experts in their field, and it's it's hard. It's it's we we've created a. I hate to to, to use the terminology, but we really have created a Brit field machine behind this thing. And that, and that's taken eight, eight solid months to build that, that team and that machine set aside from the eight, eight to nine years of, of the process. You know, I was working on the business and marketing plan over a couple of years, uh, refining it, refining it multiple stages. I mean, like we have different, all kinds of different triggers to pull. I mean, you have your media, which is one, one side of it, but you have the school tour. Mm-hmm. So we're doing a national book tour of 250 plus schools this year. That's amazing. Can you imagine that? So, so we needed to create an entire team just around that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, we, we have the Britfield um, uh, Institute, which is britfieldinstitute.org. That's our nonprofit side of this. And uh, that's, that's, that's a way that we're going to be reaching teachers. And that's another way we're going to be reaching teachers and schools. Actually, we've got 90,000 emails that are going out to teachers um, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and we're offering them a free creativity kit because we're trying to bring creativity back into the classroom. But that's another another strategy, another pillar of right. the Britfield model. 
and we have like eight pillars, you know what I mean? And so you just try to refine, but I was going to say part of the process is, is if you fail, fail fast. It's one thing they teach you in marketing. It's just like, you know, this campaign, it's like you're a month into it. Is not really working? You should know within the first day, let alone yes. the first week. I'm not saying not to have patience, but I'm just saying it's just like, you know, you, know, you should be able to, you should, you should always sort of stay nimble and tweak um, and, and get a sense of it. And, and a lot of things that you can do, and I'm saying this to your authors is, is don't, you know, you don't need a, a lot of money um, to do a lot of great things. You can, That's you can it. find great, you can, you can forge great partnerships with companies mm-hmm. where there's a win and you're all, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll do this for you guys. If you could kind of do this for me. So you could forge a lot of partnerships. That's something we've done. You can find a lot of talented people um, that might just want to help or, or, or are willing to work for X amount, you know, per hour and then hire them for five hours a week. You know what I mean? And maybe you don't have to hire them full time. Right. Um, most most of our staff at the moment isn't full time. We'll kick that up. But the point is, is I'd rather hire you right now and pay you for five hours and know that that's some, something's getting done and it's a work in progress because it's always easy to increase you to 10 or 15. And it's not easy, you know, finding people. But a lot of people right now are, are multitasking. They've got multiple jobs and stuff. So, you know, but it's just finding quality people and letting them do what they're really good at doing. You know and what I mean? And showing and, and, their and, skill set. You've hi- let, so, for example, you've hired them for that five hours. What could have possibly taken you twenty to do, which then yeah. takes you away from doing something else. And that's why I said, you know, surround yourself, contact, you know, people around you. I've just been fortunate that that I have a dear friend who has all of the qualifications that I need to help be my counterpart. And she's like, I want to help you for free. This sounds like so much fun. And I'm like, Oh, thank (laughs) the Lord, because I'm on a teacher salary and let's do things for free. (laughs) And so like, like you said, there can be people right in your communities, you know, businesses and partnerships that you can forge and make with people and connections you can make. And you don't have to have, you know, like you said, the tons of money to get the work done, but you do have to be able to find quality, like you said. Yeah. People that are there for you that can help you, but can also contribute in positive ways. Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So how are you balancing everything? It seems like you're like so feel like your days are filled up. I heard you say eight to 10 hours a day when you were in the editing phase. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, we're, we're in launch phase now, so it's actually really exciting because it's like, I, you know, it was 90% of my time, let's say a month ago was all infrastructure and every detail under the sun that you can imagine it's been launching the book and launching companies, launching marketing plans, getting the website done. And I could go on and on. We're actually, uh, just down the final stages of our, our study guide, which is going to be about 60, 70 pages. And this is for schools and teachers to teach Brentfield and Lost Crown in the school. You know, it's, it's designed that way. It's designed to teach over a semester. It's built, it's structured in a three act structure. Um, it's got all types of different parallels, you know, character arcs, word usage, vocabulary. So it's designed to teach as a book. So like that is a whole thing, but now, um, as all that stuff's being wrapped up and we're launching, which is exciting, finally, you know, we're, we're doing interviews like with you, Yes, thank <laughs> you know what I mean? Which is fun, you know, so. But so how do you balance, like, so you're just working all the time. I am, you know, you got to take your breaks and stuff. And I do. And I, I, uh, I have a routine, you know, I, I, I eat well, which is obviously very important. I've got great supplements, which is really important mm-hmm. I walk out every day. And I, and it's usually right around 1030 or 11, you know, so like I'm a, 
I'm a morning person. So I like to hit it like by six and then by like 10, 10 o'clock or something, I'm like, okay, time for a workout. And that gives me a nice, nice break. And obviously it's great for the, for the body and the mind. Um, sometimes I'll lay down, you know, mid, mid afternoon for, oh, for 10 or minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like power naps and stuff. And uh, even, even if you just, this is a great tip, but even if you just lay down and close your eyes for 10 minutes, it really helps the body just reset, mm-hmm. you know, so just a lot of those kind of things. You gotta, you do have to pace yourself because you don't want to burn out and you don't want to hit a wall. Right. And, uh, um, but I'm enjoying what I'm doing and I, and, uh, when I want to take a break, I'll take a break, but I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm just into it now and this is my baby. So <laughs> I know, I know yeah. you're excited. I can tell, I can feel the energy and I know that just seeing it all happen. Like I can't wait for that time yeah. to come for me. Like, but seeing all of that happen, like right before your eyes, like, how would you describe that? Um, it's very, it's very rewarding. You know what I mean? I mean, it's interesting because you're kind of in a different plane, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, or, or a zone because I'm now in that zone. I mean, this is, this is the time that God has allotted for this. I thought it was two years ago, you know, and I was ready to, I was really ready. I was pushing it and getting ready. We're, you know, we, we, we've raised money too, to, to fund this thing. Um, so while I'm saying it's not about money, you know, you, you've got to have it. And for what right. we're trying to do, you know, you've got to have it too. Um, we're not just kind of just trying to sell a thousand books. You know, we want to sell, I mean, we actually, our, our goal is to, well, I won't, I won't get into it, but, but we have a goal. A good goal. In 10 years, in a decade. But, um, uh, but, we're, but we're very conservative with the money. In fact, we haven't, we haven't tapped much of anything from media. I think, I think media can become the, the biggest expense and, and the, uh, the lowest are, you know, return on investment. You know, people always throw five or $10,000 at this cookie cutter media kit, or, you know, they say, Oh, wow, we've got a million listeners or something. And it's just like, well, how many people are actually in your demographic? How many people are listening at that time? How many will buy a book? You know, and really talking about you too, after they bought the book, like, are you making an impression on them to keep them within your tribe? Yeah. Yeah. And someone could spend $10,000, you know, for, for some national, you know, uh, because they're going to, you know, doing whether it's the Facebook, you know, um, well, we've got a million followers. Well, you know, quite frankly, it's, this is the thing about Facebook and, or any of the social media. It's like, you might have a million followers, but when they post that ad, how many of those million followers will actually see that ad? And then exactly. from that, will actually buy it. And then, and then once they've done it or gone through their routine, how many, how many people will actually, uh, they, they need another million. You know what I mean? So I say all this is just a caution to those that are, that are looking to market their book and stuff. Just be very careful, be smart, be savvy, uh, walk before you run and look for those partnerships, look for the synergy, look for the grassroots, trust, trust the, uh, the book clubs or the mom group, the homeschoolers, yeah. or you know what I mean? like if, they, if you have a great quality product, you know, you can't keep them quiet. You know what right. I mean? And so, yeah. And refine your skill, you know what I mean? And just, that's why I spent so long on book one. And then, and then, uh, when, when we weren't ready to launch, you know, two years ago, I decided I might as well just finish up writing book two. And so that's <laughs> fantastic. But I now have book two in my back pocket. That, that takes a lot of heat off me. So Yeah. Because you have France done. And so, now yeah. book three. so have you outlined three through seven? Not yet. Not yet. No, no, no. But you're I, thinking I, I, the United States is going to be in there for the, for the historical perspective and just to give them the readers another view. Yeah. I think if you were to ask writers, what's the one thing you want? And I can at least speak for myself. It's just uninterrupted time. Oh, right? of course. Oh yeah. Right. 
just I mean, because it's it's and I and I not to get it down to to sort of um, stats or statistics or a mathematical equation, but I really believe that it takes about five hours for every finished page you write. Uh, probably one hour to produce a page and four hours to finish it. And so if you're gonna if someone comes to me and says I want to write a, a hundred page book, and I'm talking a quality, really good quality hundred page book, it'll take about five hundred hours. So it, and it's nothing personal, you know what I mean? It's just like I mean, if you want to zip something out, or 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 you have a few a few you know two out of a thousand that are gifted, right? <laughs> but, like him but, yeah, I think most authors would agree. Um, so, so to write, you know, a 400 page book, you know, times, you know, five, that's 2,500 hours. So that's pretty much kind of right where it's at, you know, because you're going to spend 90% of your time editing it. You're going to want to go through it at least, you know, four or five passes. Um, and, and so mathematically someone says, Hey, I want to write a 200 page book. It's going to take you a thousand hours. So, so you got to figure out, okay, a thousand hours. So, um, how many hours can I put in a week? I can put in 10 hours a week. Okay, great. So now time's. 52 weeks. I mean, I could tell you how long your book would take. Um, and I probably, I'd probably be pretty accurate. So it's just like, when I start, it's like, that's it. You know, I'm in, it's like, it's like the diving board, you know, and, and you're jumping into it. And it's like, you don't, you can't be interrupted or I can't peck away at it for a couple of hours a week. And I get it. I really do. I get, I get, you know, parents or, or, you know, obligations. Don't, don't get me wrong. You do what you can. Absolutely. And it's better to write a couple of hours a week than not write at all. Exactly. Uh, but it just, it, it, it just, it, what does it take? It takes time. And the more you write, the better the writer you become. And the more and reading the, you do and the bodily yeah. you do. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how can listeners connect with you or follow you? Like we were talking about social media. So tell me how you are navigating that whole social media world. Are you up on Twitter just, a lot? Or are you doing uh, Instagram a lot? I think, I believe we have an Instagram or should have an Instagram account. We're on Facebook now. So Britfield um, uh, has a, f- a Facebook account. So follow us on that. That'll be fun because uh, we're constantly posting, you know, a lot of uh, activities that we're doing. Um, some of the schools that we've been at, um, some of the interviews that we've done. We've done a couple of television interviews that we did at NRB, which was kind of fun. Uh, so that's a fun way to sort of get up, up, up and close and, you know, recent photos and information. I'd go to the website, Britfield.com. Oh, yes, uh, lovely. Please, everybody, please check out that website. Like right now, go to it. You, you need to yeah. be there. You need to spend a lot of time there because it's just, it's, it's really, it's a good extension of the book. It truly is. And I didn't realize how, I mean, I knew it from when I first looked at it, how visually appealing it was, you know, and I was at the, at the very beginning critiquing it. And, and seeing, you know, the worth of it. But I didn't quite get it until I started reading. Yes. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like I see it and it's like, ooh, wow, shiny. <laughs> but then when you're reading and you say, ooh, there's the depth. Yeah. That's the pieces that can help students who might need that next step. Like that's when it really hit me. Like, you know, how powerful that website is, you know. Uh, so I thank you for all the work that you've done, you know, with the book, with the series. I'm ready for book two, just to let you know that in 2020, and we'll be following you from now until then. And um, we'll be getting that copy of uh, The Rise of the Lion, which I love the name of that book. It's like, okay. Yeah. Book two is, two is 540 pages, if you can imagine. So it's, uh, I, and I don't, I don't write to write, but the story took over. And so book two, I couldn't believe it. I was shooting for 350 and we came, I came in at 540. So 
I mean, book two just takes it to a whole other level. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. All right. So would you like to share your favorite Bible verse with everybody? I love to ask all of my authors on the show, if you would like to share a Bible verse with everyone, I would love it. Um, gosh, I'm just trying to think. I mean, I'll, I'll share my favorite, one of my favorite Bible characters. Oh, um, yes, go. Yeah, and it's, and it's Caleb. And I, uh, I mean, Joshua's great, right? And David, of course, David. In fact, I'll tell you something. I've got three um, rocks uh, right here next to me. I'm holding them now that were taken from the stream in the valley uh, of where David took the rocks, uh, five rocks to uh, conquer Goliath. And I had a pastor that was visiting Israel. And I said, hey, do me one favor, bring me back a rock. And he brought me back five. Uh, and so I've got, I've got three because I've given um, one rock, you know, to a special person and another rock to a special person, you know, because they're very, very cool. But anyway, I, I just love Kayla. I, this is, this is my, one of my favorite scenes in all the Bible. Uh, and one of the most powerful, if you will, character traits to take on for all of us as Christians, but it's just like, you know, so 12 go into the, into the, um, the land and, and, and see that it is filled with, with giants. I mean, literally, and, and, and unfortunately so many pastors have talked away giants and, and, and have said it's, it's an analogy. It's not an analogy. Some of these giants were as tall as 16, 18 feet. These things were, were, um, not friendly, right. <laughs> you know? Right. So, it's uh, yeah, we're like grasshoppers, right? And that that was not figuratively. I mean, these and the walls that they came up. You can imagine a giant's castle and stuff. And these things were were sixty, hundred feet tall. But you have these twelve. That, I mean, you have the twelve that come back. You have the ten that are the cowards, the ten that aren't listening to what God had already promised. But Caleb says, you know, I think we can take them. You know, I'm kind of <laughs> yeah. He's the positive mindset. Let's go. Love that attitude. You know, he's yeah. like he's like it's like um, we've got to go now but I think we can take them, you know? And I, I mean, I just, that, that's one of my favorite verses and I'm sorry that I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing it, but no, it's but almost it's perfect. And now, if, now we're going to not only read Britfield, but we're going to now go back and we'll revisit the spies and we'll go read yeah. that Bible uh, verses with our kids tonight. But yeah, you're right. How many of us are talking about that, right? We're daunted by God's given us a promise or God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of strength, sound mind and boldness, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Remember Caleb, you know what I mean? And it's just like, if God has given you something to do, you're going to do it. And, and uh, fear isn't, isn't, isn't of God. It never is of God. So I just, I just love that, that, that quote of Caleb. What a great character, you know? I know. I know. So um, I'd ask if you would like to pray for our listeners now and just uh, sure. pray for all of them out there, authors, readers, um, families. So thank you. Yeah, Lord, I just come before you in the name of Jesus Christ and thank you for this wonderful opportunity with Jen and uh, just fun sharing about the book and, and really just hope that um, our conversation has encouraged a lot of people. There's so many um, that are listening. There's so many that are struggling. There's so many that are looking for your will. And Lord, I just, God, I ask right now that you would just <clears throat> empower them and touch them and give them encouragement, Lord, and, and help them you know, find you, seek you. God, let them pray. Um, let them know the power of prayer, God. Let them know that you are accessible through Christ at any time. Uh, let them search the scriptures and God, bring the kind of fellowship into their life and just open up those doors for them, Lord, and uh, really encourage them. Um, this is a great time for encouragement, Father. I just ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So thank you, Chad, for being on the show today. And for our closeout, we want to challenge you to go out and write something inspiring today and share it with the world. 
So thanks Absolutely. for joining me and Chad Stewart on Jen Lowry Writes. And you guys have a blessed day. And thanks, Chad. Thank you, Jen. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're looking for my challenge devotionals on Amazon, go right on over and type in Dr. Jennifer Eichner Lowry, and you'll see my 30-day everyday mom challenge, my 30-day teacher challenge, fingerprint curriculum for my homeschool families, and one that's closest to my heart is the Happy Renewal Year challenge devotional. I dare you to go and check them out today. You can also find that they're on Kindle Unlimited, because I want you guys to have access. I often put them up for free uh, promotional items. I'll do countdowns. Um, so that way you can grab one, you can gift them with a friend, you can share them out on your sites and people can go on this journey with us. In December of 2019, look out for the release of my author challenge devotional. I'm looking forward to that one and sharing it with you.